Kings chapter 1. First Kings chapter 1. It's great to worship with you long-haired, hand-sanitized, mask-wearing Presbyterians this morning. First Kings chapter 1 and 2 is where we are. And I, I'm thrilled to be preaching the book of Kings. I, I, uh, I love these historical books and there's just so much truth that points to Christ in them. So just a touch of background, 1 Kings 1, it really, if you think about it, it's all about the succession of the kingdom from King David to his son Solomon and, and fulfilling the promises that were given to David in 2 Samuel 7 by the Lord that on his throne would reign an heir from his line, an eternal kingdom from that point forward. That's chapter 1, how it went from David to Solomon. And then chapter 2 then is the security of the kingdom. What are the attacks on it? And so just before David's death, David in chapter 2, David gives instructions and wisdom to this new king, King Solomon. And so in verses 1 to 4, he said, true stability comes in keeping God's word. True stability comes in keeping the Word of God. And then he turns and he says, be wise and realize there are real dangers in your kingdom. And as a father to a son, he begins to spell those out. And the rest of the chapter is how those dangers come about and are dealt with really by the Lord. So please read with me chapter 2, and I'm going to start around verse 13, and I'm going to go to 25. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And she said, do you come peacefully? He said, peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. She said, speak. He said, you know that the kingdom was mine, and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. And now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. She said to him, speak. And he said, please ask King Solomon. He will not refuse you to give me Avishag the Shunammite as my wife. Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah. And the king rose to meet her and bowed down to her. Then he sat on his throne and had a seat brought for the king's mother, and she sat on his right. Then she said, I have one small request to make of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, Make your request, my mother, for I will not refuse you. She said, Let Avishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as his wife. King Solomon answered his mother, And why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother. And on his side are Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, and I really want to, I want to get angry when I do this because I'm sure he was angry. God, so do so to me and more also if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. 
Now therefore as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me a house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. So King Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a heart this man has for power, for pity, broken dreams. Lord, he's driven by them. Father, thank you for the promise of your word, which cannot be overthrown by the wisdom of men, leading all the way to the fulfillment in Christ. God, teach us these things. Lord, show us in our hearts if we've had broken dreams and ambitions that bring us to a place where we're hard and we want to see our will done, we live in a place of self-pity, Father, and we refuse to rest in your desires of providence for our lives, whatever they might be. Father, you are a good Father, and we can trust you in all things. Work powerfully right now, we pray, through your Spirit and every believer in this room, in our heart and our minds, O oh God. Help us to be a people that have our minds set upon things above. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Lance Armstrong says, I was, I was trying to win at all costs, and I am 100% worried that that guy may come back. Armstrong, of course, returned from cancer to dominate the Tour de France from around 99 to 2005, and often, you know, he was accused of performance-enhancing drugs. He fiercely denied it until it all came out around 2013. Now, he gave an interview with NBC Sports about what drove him to cheat, and this is what he said. We did what we had to do to win. It wasn't legal, but I would not change a thing. Now, hear what he's saying. I, I have a dream to win, and I will do whatever it takes to see those dreams achieved. And those desires, even though they've been caught and exposed, they're still there, and I'm worried they're going to start leading me again. In, in many, there, there is a hardened determination to win, and what they mean by that is, a, or what I mean by that is an, a, to accomplish my dreams, regardless of the outcome. And that's Adonijah, the fourth son of David, his story. So last week we said in 1 Kings 1, Adonijah led a coup, didn't he? With Joab the general and Abiathar the priest. And when he's caught, he's shown remarkable grace because King Solomon doesn't take his life. He shows him mercy. He spares his life. But like Lance Armstrong, the desire to win at all costs, it, it actually never leaves him. Over the years, it becomes stronger and it grows. So instead of focusing on the amazing grace that he's been shown by this merciful king, his brother, what we see here is a hardened determination to win, to accomplish his goals. And then a self-pity for what he's lost and a demand for others to see his point of view, to enter into his own suffering. 
Now, my friends, at some point, we all will have a situation where we can say how unfair that that happened to me, right? This thing was in my hand. How unfair that it was taken away. And then we can turn to self-pity and demand others validate our broken dreams. Or, on the other side, we can say, God, how much grace and goodness do I have in the midst of my own broken desires? So here's our main idea today, that, and it should be up here on the screen. A hardened determination to win leads to destruction every time. I see it in my own heart. You've probably seen it in yours. And we see it in the lives of people around us. And in stories like Adonijah. So there's two ways we're going to look at this. First is, Adonijah exposes his shattered dreams. Look at his self-pity. Verse 15. You know the kingdom was mine and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. However, the kingdom was turned about and became my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. So he goes to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And, uh, you know, she's got to be wondering, and she expresses it, why is this rival for the throne, this one who tried to kill me and my son, why would he now come to see me? And so she asked him, why have you come? And he says, well, you know the kingdom was mine. Stop there. In other words, the throne was in my hands. I had my dreams. And everybody expected me to be king. The whole country was rallying around me. However, (laughs) it was taken from me by God and given to my little brother Solomon. So she says, maybe with a bit of pity in her heart, okay, go on. Go on with your story. And now, he says, and now I have one request from you. Do not refuse me. In other words, he's saying, since I have lost all things, it's all been taken from me. Have pity on me and give me just some little morsel, some small thing from my father's kingdom. Bathsheba then says, okay, I see your point of view. Ask. Verse 17, look in your Bibles with me. Please ask King Solomon, he will not refuse to give me Avishag the Shunammite as my wife. Stop there. Now when you read that, you think, okay, there's no harm in that. He's a, he's a single guy. He's tired of being single. Avishag was known to be a real beauty. She's not married. What's the harm in saying, hey, I'd really like her to be my wife. That, that would be quite nice. Well, this is hardened determination to win the kingdom back through the back door. It's a scheme to test Solomon and take the kingdom from him. Okay, explain that, Rusty. Well, in the East, back then, to marry the king, or to, hopefully I wouldn't marry the king, to marry the king's wives, especially after he died, was to, crown, to claim the throne and to say, I'll have his power and especially for your children. Well, here's where we see that. 2 Samuel 16, Absalom, David's son, he wants the throne, and so he goes to Ahithophel, the counselor, and he says, I want my father's throne, what should I do? And Ahithophel says, take his concubines to be yours. In other words, take his harem, and when you do that, you're saying, I'm taking the authority of the kingdom. And that's exactly what's happened here. 
a hardened determination to rule. So Adonijah's goal was to show, look, Solomon is weak to publicly shame him. And then with Joab to overthrow him. And we know something about this. We've experienced some of this in our own culture. In England, in 1547, uh, Henry VIII died. And there was a young king, King Edward, who was new to the throne and probably somewhat weak. But just like Solomon, everybody had their eyes on the crown. They wanted the crown for themselves. And one of those everybodies was Thomas Seymour, the Lord Admiral of England. Thomas Seymour was handsome and he was ambitious. He was watching for an opportunity. And then he saw one. Henry's daughter Elizabeth, when she came to age, he tried to pursue her as a young woman for marriage in thinking that if I can marry her, then our heir can claim the throne. Well, people realized what was going on and he was arrested in 1549 and executed for treason by his own brother. Now that's what we have happening here. In Adonijah, there is a restless ambition, a hardened determination to win, and certainly the words that he would have heard was at his own makeshift ceremony when everyone was saying, long live King Adonijah. And those words are still ringing through his ears. Now let's go to point two. A hardened determination win leads to destruction. Point two, Adonijah's determination leads him to death. Look in your Bibles with me at verse 19. Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah. And you're wondering, okay, so she hears, but does she understand what's going on, right? Is, is she naive or is she cunning? Is she remarkably wise, which is what I think is happening here. You see, is she unaware of Adonijah's designs or is she simply delivering his plot again to her son's hands to save the throne again a second time. We'll look at verse 20 with me in your Bibles. Notice his response when his mother comes in. And the king rose to meet her, bowed down to her, and had a seat brought for the king's mother, and she sat on his right hand. I have one small request to make of you, and do not refuse me. Make your request, for I will not refuse you. Now, you see the immense respect that he has for his mother. Oliver Cromwell, who led the English Parliament, was so devoted to his mother that when he was young, she was his chief counselor. And as the leader of England, he moved her into the royal palace. And when she died, he had her buried at Westminster Abbey with all the royalty of England. You see, and for Solomon, whose father considered this, he had multiple wives, right? And that means lots of half-brothers and sisters, and they probably all wanted a piece or a chip of the kingdom. And so if you put yourselves in his shoes, the one person that you would intrinsically trust would be Bathsheba, your mother, who has already saved the kingdom for you once. So when she comes into his presence, he bows to her to honor her. She is placed at his right hand, which is the hand of acceptance the hand of blessings. And he says, ask whatever you want. But what will she ask? Verse 21. Look in your Bibles. Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as his wife. King Solomon answered, 
And why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also. Because he's my older brother on his side or Abithar the priest and Joab the son of Zariah. He gets it, doesn't he? Do you see that? He, Solomon knew exactly what was happening. Ask for him the kingdom also, he says. It means he's my older brother. He, he has Joab the general. He has Abiathar the priest that everybody loves. He's almost there. Give him a small door to the throne and he'll be into it. Now, this is the last thing I think is remarkable. Notice why he says that the kingdom should be with him. Verse 24. Verse 24. As the Lord lives who has established me and placed me on the throne of David my father, who has made me a house, and as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death. You see, he's not just angry that his older brother wants the deed to the family property, but that Adonijah is trying to overthrow the promises of God made to King David and now made to Solomon and eventually the very promise that would lead to the son of David, Christ coming into the world. Well, you probably know how the story finishes. David's wisdom that he gave his Solomon is all played out. Joab was obviously part of this coup attempt because when he hear that Adonijah was put to death, he runs to the tent of meetings and grabs a hold of the, the horns there, which is a place of safety because he knew his guilt, and he's put to death. Abiathar the priest was sent to his country estate, defrocked, no longer a minister of God's people, to live out the rest of his days. The kingdom was safe for now. So how do we think and live this? How do you take this, okay, from your head to your heart? Well, it's just this. Don't let your disappointments harden your heart and control your will. Don't let your disappointments harden your heart and then control your will. At some point, you and I will face a situation where we can say and dwell on how unfair. And then that moves to a place of self-pity. And then to a demand that others validate our broken dreams and disappointments. So that our grief can have too long and way too much control over our lives, eventually hardening our hearts. Now, I've experienced a bit of this, probably like you have. I can remember when I was in Christchurch in New Zealand, I had dreams of living there permanently, having children with the coolest little accents permanently, pastor of an international church. And then after some time, God said, no, you finished. It's time for these young, wonderful Kiwi pastors to step up and for you to go back to America. And the question then is, what do you do with your broken dreams? Do I say, how unfair, Lord. I've left everything to come here. Do I have a, a self-pity party and say, I'm not going back into ministry. I'm going to go work at Walmart because that's all I'm qualified to do. And then my heart maybe is hard and somehow I'm looking for a door. I will go back overseas, by golly. You see, it is good to grieve at your disappointments but not be controlled 
by them. So, how do you know if that grief is excessive? Well, your grief is excessive and sinful when it continues to dominate and darken all other areas of your life. So that all the clouds of sorrow make everything else in your life dark as well. They penetrate all areas of your life. In the darkness, it doesn't leave, does it? The sadness because of what you don't have. So that all the aspects of your life then are controlled or affected by it. Overshadowed by what you should have been or could have been. What was in your hands. You feel then your life and your heart is filled with self-pity for what was robbed from you. And then suddenly you begin to demand others hear and acknowledge the unfairness of your own situation. And the result is, we are only focused on what we've lost, what is gone, and not what God is still doing in powerful ways in our life. Always second-guessing then God's providence. It shouldn't have been like this. And having a hardened determination to win. And it's winning against God's providence and will that I want. So I want to ask you, where, where are you with your broken dreams? The things that you hoped for, the things that you felt were in your hand, but they didn't come about. Is it how unfair? Or... How much goodness that I have now where God is taking me and leading me in Christ. You see, one is a focus solely on ourselves, which leads to a real worshipless sadness. And the other, the how much grace, our sorrow and our brokenness goes to the Lord as we worship Him for everything He's done for us. It, it eyes with praise Him for His goodness to us. Very different roads. And so lastly, Christ loves for you to come to Him with all of your broken dreams, with all of your what-ifs, especially when we feel self-pity. We want everybody then to acknowledge the losses we've experienced. To come when our hearts are hardened to win. And He begins to heal our hearts by giving us a greater dream. One that is not just about ourselves and our accomplishments. What could have been if my will had reigned. But one that is about His kingdom coming. About His accomplishments for us and even through us. New desires then happen that fill our lives with joyful worship and what we have rather than sorrowful self-pity for what we don't have. What I'm saying is He begins to replace what you thought were the dreams of your life but did not align with His good providence with a vision and a trust of His providence that actually leads to amazing worship and joy when we come to Him. <laughs> And give Him our broken dreams and our sadness. And ask Him to heal our hearts. If you would, please pray with me. Father, thank You so much. You are, you are an amazing Father in the same way that Bathsheba was so encouraged to come to her son and, and how He treated her. Come, Mother. Come sit. Sit and tell me your heart. 
Father, that's exactly how you are with us. Come, come to me. Pour out your sadness, but don't just stay there. Let me do a work in your life. Let me give you a different vision for my will, which is far better. And trust that I see and know all things. And that everything that I ordain in your life will work for my glory and ultimately will work good, will shape good in your life. Father, thank you for that, Lord. And I pray for every believer who's listening or in our congregation this morning. Search our hearts, oh God. We don't want to be a people that live in self-pity. Father, we want to be a people that don't have a hardened heart to accomplish our will, but a soft heart and open hands to do whatever you want in a joyful desire to worship you as we experience and trust you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.